What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back. Opening arguments here, episode four. I'm your host, as always, Conlon Farrell. This show presented by Conduct Detrimental, your leader in sports law coverage. Well, Sweet 16's arrived. Last week was Selection Sunday. Now we're only down to the final 16. Of course, the UCLA Bruins, Johnny Juzang, last year's darling in the final four, have made it on. And I'm so glad to be joined this week on episode four of Opening Arguments by Miss Hannah Valenti and Mr. Matt Netty. Hannah, a certified MBA PA and a FIBA player agent. She's looking to sign the next Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. Somebody's out there. Hannah's going to go get him. Uh, Matt Netty up there in Boston working as the general counsel at Northeastern University. Guys, you're strong in your fields, and I'm so glad to have you on. Welcome. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for having me on. This is the best time of the year, so I'm happy best to. Best time of the year is absolutely runch. And we have to go real quick. Hannah, you did your undergrad at Providence, the Friars as well in the Sweet 16 at Cooley's Bunch. Phenomenal job. I, I love my little Friars all year. They're going to keep going. I feel confident about them. And actually, it's a perfect segue, guys, to our first topic of uh, today's show, which is the NIL and the NCAA, right? So NIL went live back in July of last year. And since then, it has been the Wild West, right? People signing multi-million dollar deals. Everybody, women's basketball, men's basketball, football, all involved, all major college athletics. It's gotten a little out of control this week. Uh, a story coming out that a class of 2023 high schooler, so a junior in high school right now signing a multi-million dollar deal that could pay him upwards of $8 million by the end of his junior year of college. Now, we all were four players getting paid in some aspect. Um, we think that's good. But should the NCAA be putting some sort of ramification, some sort of compounds on this before it gets too out of control? Hannah, ladies first, to you. The NCAA should not be involved in the regulation of NIL collectives. Collectives are standalone startup companies that were established to create financial opportunities for student athletes. NIL collectives are unaffiliated, unaffiliated by schools and are run by billionaires, entrepreneurs, and accomplished financial advisors. The NIL landscape has allowed these collectives to win the marketplace when their schools aren't winning on the field. NIL collectives like the Gator Collective at the University of Florida collect money from fans and pool this together to play payers in exchange for access and interaction between their subscribers and the players. The Gator Collective also employs CPAs to help athletes file their taxes for the first times and lawyers to help athletes understand the terms of their contracts. The NIL collectives, like the Gator Collectives, are run like major corporations with deep pockets. The NCAA should employ a hands-off policy because po pol policing these NIL collectives would be an overreach of their already broad authority. A strong star from Miss Hannah there. Matt, we'll go to you next. Brother. Um, I, I agree with Hannah's analysis of NIL collectives. Now, I think policing might be a strong term, but does the NCAA need to be involved with NIL collectives? Yes, they need to be involved. The NCAA has dragged their feet every step of the way, embracing NIL, both pre-Alston, post-Alston. They fought against athletes' rights for decades, and now we have the Wild West. Uh, the NCAA believes that NIL goes against this concept of amateurism that they've made up. They lost in the Supreme Court, so now they're acting like uh, the kid who takes their ball and just goes home instead of being involved in a productive way. They need to be involved with NIL collectives, how they're involved with the NIL in general, and that needs to be in a guidance or educational role 
right now there's this giant cloud of confusion. The NCAA can step in here and try to remove the blanket from over their eyes, accept reality, embrace NIL, and provide a structure for these collectives to thrive. And that's for the collectives to thrive. Hannah, 30 seconds to you. I hear what you're saying, Matt, but I think that the NCAA should have zero involvement. In its 115-year-old history, the NCAA has advocated against players receiving any kind of compensation. So to add them to this already established NIL collective, which has deep pockets, which has the resources, there's absolutely no need for the NCAA to be involved. Don't fix anything. It's not broken. All right. Short and sweet. I like it. Matt, your final 30. I just want to reiterate, if the Texas Pancake House wants to pay $50,000 for an offensive lineman to come to Texas, that's fine. That's great, in fact. But you know what's not great is now these NIL collectives, they're inching the boundaries further and further, seeing what they can get away with, seeing if there's going to be any pushback from the NCAA. Why don't we all just get on the same page, use the NCAA as a body to provide guidance not just sit on their hands and let the system benefit everybody. Bang, horns done right there. Hannah, Matthew, excellent points from both of you. However, I have to side with the side. I'm for education. So, Matt, the first point of episode four is to you, sir. Uh, I believe there has to be some sort of guidelines. Again, we started out this. We didn't all know. We knew it was going to be hectic and nuts. Uh, but this has gotten out of control a little bit at this point. I think the NCAA has to step in. It can't overstep its bounds like they tend to do on a lot of different things, but they need to step in and provide some education. These kids are signing away multi-million dollar deals, but they're also signing away their futures and, and their livelihoods to people that may not always have their actual individual best interest in mind. And with that said, education is what I side with. I'm for the youth. We got to educate the youth because they are, in fact, the future. All right, Matt Netty, round 1.1 to you. And guys, let's keep it here on the hardwood where another big story out of Russia, Russia in the news for all the wrong reasons, obviously, but we're going to stay focused here. Brittany Griner detained now detained until May 19th at the moment. That was the latest news report. And after she was detained at the Moscow airport for allegedly smuggling a large amount of narcotics is what Russian officials are saying. Again, we don't know the entirety and the truth right now, but for what the information we do have, that's the report so far. Brittany Griner over there because she's playing in overseas league because her WNBA contract right now at the moment isn't paying for her entire cost of living. She has to go overseas and play basketball as many WNBA players have to do. Let's just put it this way. There's a cap on WNBA contracts. Matt, we're going to go to you first. Is the WNBA solely responsible because of their cap on contracts in the CBA for Brittany Griner's Russian issues? That's what we'll leave it like that. Matt, 60 seconds for you. Obviously, the, the Brittany Griner issue is a, is a complicated geopolitical issue, but I think this is the aspect that's being under-discussed, and it shines a spotlight on the WNBA and their failure to provide a league that doesn't force top-level talent to play overseas. Griner isn't playing in Russia for lack of talent. She's one of the best players in the world. The WNBA is limiting themselves. If they were functioning properly, top-level talent like Griner would not be forced to play overseas. And I want to tie in the, the Joe Tsai story that broke a couple weeks ago. Joe Tsai, the owner of the, the New York Liberty and a, an e-commerce billionaire, he attempted to take this league to the next level. He saw his New York Liberty team having to take commercial flights to away games. So he chartered flights. He felt like his team should not have to wait yep. in airport terminals. 
This was against the CBA and the WNBA fined him $500,000. They don't want this league to progress. They want it to stay as it is. Finished. Hannah, go. 30, uh, excuse me, 60 deal. There's a number of factors to consider when analyzing who's to blame here. Griner's attention comes at one of the most dangerous moments in U.S. relations with Russia. The State Department has advised for weeks, warning Americans against traveling to Russia and urging U.S. citizens to leave the country. And they cited the limited ability of the U.S. Embassy in Moscow to help American citizens. Like you said, training offseason is commonplace for WNBA players because of the determined salary cap in the CBA. This season, 70 WNBA players are overseas, with 12 playing in Russia and Ukraine. However, those 12 all left the country besides Griner. It was announced by the WNBA spokesperson that everyone else fled the country because of the, because of the U.S. urging the citizens to leave the country. It begs the question of why did Griner stay in Russia if she could have played for an equal overseas team? FIBA just announced earlier this month that foreign players signed to Russian clubs can get out of their contracts. Why was the same not offered to Griner? Bang, 30, Matt, wrap us. Obviously, Griner's actions, you know, she she herself is responsible for. But I think Joe Sai would say if the league was in a place where he believes it could be, players like Griner and the 70 other players that Hannah mentioned wouldn't have to play overseas in the first place. And I want to trust the e-commerce billionaire when it comes to economics of a professional league. He believes the WNBA has untapped potential to pay players like Griner more where she can make the money she wants to make just here in the States, not overseas in Russia. I said wrap us. Actually, Hannah, you do the honors. You wrap us right here. 30 seconds to you. Well, I completely under understand and agree that the WNBA players are not making adequate salaries here. The main issue that we're discussing right now is who's to blame. And Griner stayed in a country where American, the American government told her to leave the country. When you're looking at who's to blame in this specific situation, you have to look at Griner. You have to look at the people closest to her. You have to look at her agent. Why would she not leave? The, why did she not leave the country? This one's not on the WNBA. Hannah, Matt, another lively debate. And again, it's a tough topic all around because, again, it's foreign relations, Russia, hot button issue across not just sports. We all know that. But let's stick, stick to the topic at hand here. Hannah point to you. Brittany Griner, I'm sorry. No, she didn't make the decision by herself, but Hannah, as if you're a future NBA agent and you have a player stuck in a, a foreign country that is war-torn at the moment and there's plenty of other reasons and the United States is telling you to leave, I'm sorry. You, you can't You can't fault anyone else. You cannot blame the league. There are certainly issues that the WNBA needs to handle. The CBA needs to be re-looked at for more than that, just that reason we said. But Hannah, like you said, it's not only Brittany Garner's fault, but her entire team not urging her enough to make her leave the country and look to play ball elsewhere. Okay, so 1-1, tied up. Rubber match. Here we go. And let's move to the rubber, the baseball diamond. Finally, like we said, baseball's back. Rob Manfred, he tried his best. The Grinch tried his best to steal the game from us, but we will have none of it. Finally, coming to an agreement. Thank goodness. Yankees. Matt, your Red Sox up in Boston. Hannah, I'm not sure your affiliation. I know you mentioned you're in New Jersey. You Yankees or Mets? I'm a Red Sox fan. <laughs> Great. Oh, Love it. Almost just lost a headset there. Okay, <laughs> but regardless, Hannah, we pitch it to you. It comes out this week that Aaron Judd's declining to answer a question as spring training presser about his vaccination status. So it's under the assumption that he might not be vaccinated uh, for the upcoming season. Now, will New York City, they don't have the vaccine mandate they have right now. 
It's not allowing Kyrie Irving to play in home games. Will they adjust that for opening day, April 7th, when the Boston Red Sox actually come to town? I do not believe that New York City will be adjusting um, their private sector mandate. New York City issued this mandate, and it stated that if you want to work in the city, you need to be fully vaccinated. New York City, as we all know, is one of the biggest, most densely populated cities in the world, and it was also the hardest hit due to the COVID pandemic. In turn, it has enacted very restrictive COVID policies so that the city does not have to shut down again. This private sector mandate has sidelined Kyrie Irving from playing from any home games all season. There is also no outdoor exception to this mandate because a bulk of a player's time is spent in training, recovery, team meetings, and meals that are all held inside the team's training facility. New York City Mayor Eric Adams stated in a press conference last week that he's not going to address any policy based on a team's schedule. The health commissioner also said in a separate press conference last week that the, the sector will remain in effect indefinitely. Due to the new variant going on across the world, there's no doubt in my mind they're not going to fix this mandate. All right, Matt Nettie now. Your turn. 60 seconds. Hannah makes some great points. If uh, Mayor Eric Adams is watching, he should probably hire her on her on his staff. But yes, I do think they will adjust the, the vaccine mandates. And for the Yankees, they better hope so after the, the Trevor Story signing to the Red Sox today. The fact of the matter is there's pressure mounting on Mayor Eric Adams. Last week, Kevin Durant made public comments after a game that the current mandate is ridiculous. It needs to be straightened out. These comments came after a game in which Kyrie Irving was sitting courtside at Barclays Center supporting the Nets, but couldn't play for the team on the court. He was later fined for going into the locker room during the game because that's considered the workplace. So the optics of this are bizarre and now enters the evil empire, the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees mean a lot more to the city of New York than Brooklyn does. So while now the mayor is digging his heels in, and morally, it makes sense, but the reality is a mayor who relies on public perception, I don't think he wants to alienate the Yankees fans. Hannah, go ahead, 30. Matt, while I agree with some of your points, I truly do not believe that this administration in New York City is going to make an exception for athletes, regardless of who's playing. If it's the Brooklyn Nets, if it's the New York Yankees, they're not going to put 9 million people at liberty to catch COVID. With this new variant, the city is just trying to do the best they can to prevent the city from having a shutdown again. The city cannot take the economic hardship that COVID led on the city. All right, Matt Netty, 30 seconds, round us out. Obviously, New York City at the, at the start of the pandemic had to be overly cautious. They were um, the area that was hit hardest. But I think selfishly, if you're looking at this now from Eric Adams' perspective, and maybe we don't want to be skeptical and think a mayor acts selfishly, but let's just say we are. If he wants to win re-election, he can't alienate the fan bases that the city is made up of, whether it's Nets fans, whether it's Yankee fans. He needs Aaron Judge on the field. Right now, if you Google Eric Adams, the first thing that comes up is the COVID mandate. Does that want to be what he's known for? Oh, I don't think so. All righty. And with that, we round out our three debate topics on episode four. And let me just say right now, it, it took a lot for me to even hear these arguments uh, coming from Red Sox fans. I can't believe I, I was say, arguing on behalf of Aaron Judge. That behalf was, that was of tough. Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. Who's your daddy? No. Um, I will say this. Matt Nettie, the point that stuck most with me was your final one. If Eric Adams wants to win re-election, he will do his best to appease the Yankee fan base. It doesn't matter what his policies are. If crime rate was zero, the, tell you this, 
if he deters and doesn't allow the Yankees to have their full lineup at disposal and Aaron Judge potentially look for a contract extension at the end of this year, everything the Yankees are playing for, they need a title. They know the time is now. There will be a pigeon with an eye patch in office before Eric Adams is in office again if the New York Yankees are not at full strength for this year. Matt Netty, you are episode four's winner of opening arguments. Okay, 30 seconds, go off. Go off with your bad self. First of all, thank you very much. This is this has been a heavy NIL episode, so I want to stick with this theme of NIL. Skeptics of the NIL, they pointed to all this money being funneled to football and men's basketball, and it would create this large inequity. But so far, let's actually stick with the facts. Women's basketball players have made more money through NIL than men's basketball players have. The NCAA needs to wake up and realize the opportunity this creates to grow women's basketball. There's social media stars in the sport. Maybe by next March Madness, the NCAA will capitalize on it. Amen to that. Let's stay. Let's stay on the hardwood. We brought back our segment, Who's in Contempt of Court? We do this at the end of each show as kind of a jokey thing. You know, with March Madness going on, who's going to be in contempt of court this week, guys? And that is going to be Mr. John Calipari. As he and his Kentucky Wildcats lost in the first round, March Madness, to Jersey Pride, the St. Peter's Peacocks. And if you remember this one from the classic, the other guys back, Marky Mark said it best. Peacock, Captain, you've got to let me fly on this one. Oh, Terry, let's just settle this. Peacocks don't fly. They fly, they fly a little. They yeah. get a real run. <laughs> as much as a penguin. About as much as a penguin, but more than a wildcat. Coach Cal... Okay, I, they want to burn it down in Lexington. K- Kentucky message boards are out of control. I'll give you odds here. Uh, real we quick, we didn't rehearse any of this. But um, if we were to say, I'll give you two-to-one odds. Has Coach Cal, has he possibly coached his last game in Lexington? Matt, you won. You go first. I don't think he's coached his, his last, last game in Lexington, so I wouldn't take those odds. But I want to provide just a couple numbers to break down how big of an upset this was. Mm-hmm. Cal makes $8 million. The Kentucky yep. basketball budget is $29 million. Yep. St. Peter's coach makes 300000 and their entire budget is $1.6 million. There's a chance there's Kentucky players through NIL making mm-hmm. more money than the St. Peter's coach. So this is what makes March Madness special, David versus Goliath. And when the Goliath losing is Kentucky, I think we're all in a good place. Hannah, round us out here. All right, your little Friars are shooting their way into the tournament. Jared Bynum, Al Durham, uh, Noah Horkler, who actually I went to Stockton. He's North Florida. He's a former Osprey. So me and him also have a little Osprey blood blood in us. Um, But round us out. Coach Cal, is he done in Kentucky, or people just need to let the uh, water cool a little bit? I don't. I don't think he's done. I don't, I don't think we've seen the last of him. But I just want to echo Matt's point. This is the best. It's the best. Um, this the best thing about college sports is March Madness. It really doesn't matter how big your budget is. It just count, comes down to five guys on the court playing their hearts out. Um, and I think that every year we have stories like this that prove that college basketball is the best for this sole reason. The best sport alive. Actually, one more little fun fact about Coach Cal. He actually vacations in Lavalette, New Jersey, next to a friend of mine. I slid him my mini hoop mixtape under the door last offseason. They call me Connie Shibway in the low post, but to no avail. I don't know if I could have been help out there against St. Do you Peter's. still have any eligibility left to, to uh, play geez, not, not with my knees. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but, guys, again, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me. And, as always, 
I'm Conlon Farrell. I'm your host. Opening arguments presented by Conduct Detrimental, your leader in sports law coverage. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the madness. We'll be back next week. Happy Monday, guys. Thanks so much.